The liberalization of sexual values in the 20th century is a huge economic story. The latest technology advances, in the form of effective contraceptives, have stunned the cost-benefit analysis of sex. Millions of women and men think daily about having sex or not. These advances, together with the changes in equality and education, have massively changed the sexual landscape. Here is some evidence to confirm the role that economic factors play in the promiscuity that is now rampant in society. The percentage of unmarried women that have babies has increased from 5% to 41% worldwide, in spite of the effective contraceptive technology. This trend of premarital sex is strongly linked with family income. For instance, girls from poor households are 50% more likely to be sexually active than girls from rich households. Marriage has become a privilege for the rich, only 48% of less educated people are likely to get married. About 44% of young adults see marriage as an obsolete institution. To understand the role that beliefs and behaviors play in the sexual landscape, let us look at the case of Jane. At the age of 17, she ran away from home and spent her time with women with a perspective that differs from hers. Her friends were born and raised in poverty. They were extremely promiscuous, they slept with men even when they weren't treated right. They had nothing to lose. The economic forces for their behavior include education and bleak marriage prospects. There was a huge gap between the wages of an educated and an educated person. Low earning potential meant the men in that community could barely feed themselves, let alone a family. The second part of Jane's story started when Jane fled from a local pimp that wanted to recruit her. She was lucky enough to be given shelter and a second chance by her sister. Now, Jane is educated and raising a child alone after her divorce. Her PhD study at a notable university is ongoing. However, her new academic friends are far more promiscuous than the previous women in her early life. Their promiscuity was not as a result of lack of moral fortitude, but because they only have a few reasons to say no. They could afford to raise a baby alone or terminate the pregnancy. Furthermore, these women don't have to face the persecution and shame of having a baby outside marriage. Let's move on to birth control technology. Since women can control their fertility, most have concluded that the benefits of premarital sex outweigh the costs. It is now safer to have sex with less risk of pregnancy. Ages ago, a woman knew that if she had an illegitimate child, her chances of marrying a man with a good income became very slim. But even with the advances in contraceptives technology, the number of pregnancies of unmarried women still keeps increasing drastically. This doesn't mean this technology is not important, it simply means that it has influenced social change that has led to a rise in promiscuity. Does promiscuity have any benefits? Sex makes people happy and you would think people with more sexual partners would be happier. That's far from being true, in fact, the more sexual partners you have, the less happy you will be. The economic approach enables us to understand why we went through liberalization of sexual values in the 20th century, as well as how the widening gaps in incomes between the poor and the rich led to increasing unintended pregnancies in impoverished communities. University students aren't having as much sex as their age mates who aren't students. This is not an exaggeration. Contrary to common belief, university students have less sex on the average than their counterparts who aren't studying. Let's look at the fate of most students on campus. On Thursday nights, students are binge drinking at a bar off campus. Most women will go to this bar just to have a good time with their friends. Others go there and use their drunken state to hook up with any willing guy. 
Only a few go there to enjoy male attention while seeking a relationship, but this proves impossible since most men won't want to be with a woman that doesn't give up the cookie within a few hours after they meet. Another popular misconception is that men like sex more than women. The truth is that men prefer having several sexual partners, meanwhile, women prefer being assured that sex is not a once-off experience. Past studies revealed that men love to have as many as eight sexual partners. The desire of men to be with several partners, along with their willingness to partake in anonymous sex, is what fuels the sex trade around the world. As of recent, university campuses have turned into cool places for young men looking for casual sex. The high number of women versus men on campus makes it hard for women to get a suitable partner, a single man who is willing enter into a relationship and isn't looking for sex on the first night. The available men seem to have acquired greater sex market power. The women knew that not giving it up means that a guy will likely not date her because other women are available and willing to take that risk. Therefore, women lose their ability to negotiate when and how the couple should have their first sexual encounter. An abundance of women on campus means that there are less traditional dating and more hookups. According to research by economist Jeffrey DeSimone, binge drinking is a major factor that contributes to risky sexual behavior on university campuses. For instance, binge drinkers are 25% more likely to be sexually active, 20% more likely to have unprotected sex, and 94% more likely to sleep with multiple partners. But why do students binge drink? Many laws exist to prevent students from drinking in bars. So, they drink themselves into a stupor before heading out. The prices of alcohol also affect people's drinking habits. Students that have enough money won't mind any increase in prices and some simply go for cheaper drinks. Price increase does not decrease risky sex or rowdiness. The filters available on online dating sites make it easier to search for love but a lot of potential partners are discarded because of flimsy features. When people are faced with a lot of options on online dating sites, they often choose to simplify by using a process of elimination. Large categories of possibilities will be eliminated to simplify the decision-making process. This means that possible partners are rejected without ever being seen. Not because of who they are, but because they couldn't escape the filtered search. Meanwhile, such people might have been the perfect fit for you. Online searches encourage us to look for qualities that can be easily measured e.g. education, height, age, income, race, etc. The quality of a relationship depends more on the qualities that can't be easily measured or quantified in an online search. From an economics viewpoint, limited searches turn thick markets into artificially thin markets. The matches on the thin market are likely to be of low quality. At the end of the market for spouses, men and women do not necessarily marry the type of person their initial preferences dictate, they marry the person who is both available and willing to be married to them. To understand certain preferences in dating, we have to analyze data collected while the markets are in action. For instance, multiple researchers have shown that a racially segregated marriage market is driven mostly by same-race preferences of women. Men often show less same-race preference in dating. The dating market is just like any other market that consists of sellers and buyers, and it is only in equilibrium when sellers and buyers are willing to trade after the price has adjusted. There is no money exchange in this market. Prices are determined by opportunity costs that people accept when they eventually meet a person whom they choose to date. People end up in relationships with people similar to them. This behavior is known as assertative mating by economists. 
Most times, it is expensive and time-consuming to pursue potential partners so people cut costs by spending less time searching. The fastest way to get off the market and find a mate is to price ourselves appropriately, i.e. accurately estimate our values on the market. In general, people are biased when assessing themselves. We all think we are sexier, funnier, smarter, and kinder than the average person. For instance, when online dating sites users were asked to rate their attractiveness, only 1% admit to being below average. 26% of women and 29% of men rated themselves as average. The remaining 72% of women and 68% of men rated themselves as above average. The next time you hop onto an online dating site, be honest with yourself. Rate your physical appearance in comparison to people on the site who are the same age and gender as you. Struggling to determine your own value on the market might lead to missing out on the economic benefits of marriage earlier in your life. In love and marriage, you don't always get your desire because of your own value on the market limits who you are with when your individual market closes. Though you might not get what you want, the person with the same market value as you might be who you need. People get married for various reasons but from an economics perspective, marriage is solely for insurance in bad times and efficient production of household services and or goods i.e. sex, love, and children. There is a misconception that married people don't have much sex. Research studies have shown that 76% of married people have sex two to three times per month in comparison to 41% of separated, widowed, or divorced people and 57% of unmarried people. You might wonder about the quality of the sex. Research also found that people are happier when they have had only one sexual partner in the previous year. Several goods and services are produced in a marriage. For instance, biological children serve as a good example of service in marriage. Most marriages serve as a cost-effective and efficient way for couples to have children in a safe and nurturing environment. Married couples without children enjoy other services like a stable income, clean house, home-cooked meals, etc. The most efficient marriage is one in which the couple excels in different activities so they can bring different talents to the relationship. For example, a person who loves cooking and taking care of the home will be better off marrying a person with a comparative advantage in earning a high income to run the home. Single people often relocate to large cities because the search costs become lower in highly populated areas, and the quality of potential matches are higher. In large cities, singles will be able to come in contact with a lot more people than in less populated rural areas where people might be skeptic about speaking to strangers. Fewer potential matches in less populated areas mean lower chances of finding the one. This results in settling for any available matches, even though the match might not be ideal. It seems too daunting to keep searching. Low search costs when people are willing to look for a mate for longer to get a high-quality match. The longer a woman stays in school, the harder it will be to find a husband in the future, especially if she waits until after graduation before marrying. Most men prefer marrying a woman that is less educated than them. The educated woman will also be older by the time she starts looking for a husband, so she faces competition from younger and less educated women. In situations whereby educated women struggle to find potential mates, the market is out of equilibrium because supply is greater than demand. We don't have a complete understanding of the world around us, especially when it comes to choosing life partners. We need to decide that our relationships have better benefits than no relationship at all. Accepting the importance of economic factors can be reinforced by accepting that the roles that they play on our relationships. 
After marriage, the more the market value of an individual, the higher their bargaining power in the marriage. Marriage refers to the actions that people take that define the meaning of a family in their own community. The meaning or definition of marriage is not engraved in stone, it varies from one place to another, from country to country, and over time. The marriage institution is often decided by the entire community, but economic factors also affect its evolution. For instance, heterosexual monogamy polygyny has been the widely accepted definition of marriage. However, there are other forms of marriages recognized today i.e. polyamory, polyandry, serial monogamy, etc. Even when the citizens of a country do not agree with a type of marriage, a change in the legal framework is all that is needed for institutional change to occur. Respect for individual rights and freedom is one of the reasons that some nations have been able to accumulate wealth and experience progress in new technologies. The same respect for human rights has enabled advocates for same-sex monogamous marriages to win legal battles for legal recognition. Over the last decade, public opinion of same-sex relationships has been changing rapidly and people are more open to changing their beliefs. Through the evolution of these beliefs, institutional change occurs. Open acceptance of this trend is also due to the accepting nature of the younger generations that make up most of the population, this is known as the cohort effect. Societies in developed and first world countries have rejected polygamy as a marriage institution because people prefer to have a few educated children, over several less educated children. Monogamy helps them to achieve that goal so the community has come to adopt the opinion that monogamous marriage is better than polygamous marriage. Contrary to economic theory, the happiest marriages are not those in which husbands and wives are different but one in which they are similar to each other. Let's go back to the story of Jane, who ran away from home and started living with prostitutes in the slum. Without a job or university degree, she felt she should compensate for that with her youth, so she moved halfway around the world and started living with a man at 19. John was nine years older than her, but he was educated and employed. They both got what they needed, not what they wanted. Before long, Jane was unhappy, she was isolated, lonely and without bargaining power in the relationship. John made decisions without her input. The economic conditions didn't help things either. John couldn't keep a job and they had to keep moving to various cities in search of better employment opportunities. This meant that Jane didn't have a stable job, was constantly isolated, and not involved in the decision-making. They eventually had to move to the home of Jane's parents. She summoned the courage to go to university to get a degree. Their relationship eventually fell apart when the equilibrium changed, equal employment and education gave Jane more say. In the past 30 years, economic factors have leveled the formal labor market for both men and women. This has enabled more women to have more bargaining power in their marriages. The income gap between husbands and wives seem to be shrinking. Meanwhile, the income gap between poor and rich is widening. Economists argue that this could be responsible for the increase in divorce rates. Some people get married to exploit the gains from trade. A good example of such people is men that import wives from another country, in an attempt to discard domestic economic forces that give women a say in their marriages. Negotiation is an essential part of decision-making between couples, right from resources allocation to household chores. Technology advances have given women more freedom to spend time on their careers and get better earnings in the job market. Several services done in the past by women at home can now be purchased. Higher incomes mean women that are tired of losing negotiations in their marriage, can choose to leave and still be financially stable.
Any man that doesn't want to share decision-making is at risk of divorce. However, most men do not want to share decision-making with their wives. They want a good wife who see them as the lord of the home. A woman who would not question his authority. They achieve this goal by looking for wives on marriage markets in developing countries where women are often disadvantaged in the labor market. International marriage brokers convince men to seek for submissive foreign women. Conflict in expectations between the two parties in these relationships often leads to high rates of divorces and domestic abuse. Research studies have shown that the happiest couples are those in which both husband and wife are foreign-born or native-born. We choose people that are similar to us. This might not allow gain maximization from trade, but it sure does make us happy. People are starting relationships at different stages of their lives, and they are living in a way that differs from the past. The dynamics of relationship styles have changed over the years. For instance, people are more willing to live in cohabitation instead of getting married. This has made the late-in-life market for love and sex much thicker than before. The first reason is that most people are choosing to get married late since they want fewer children. For women, getting married after 30 means they can only have one to two kids. Women no longer feel pressured to get married early. Several lifestyle choices and fertility treatments can enable women to have kids in their late 30s and early 40s. Changing society norms and effective contraceptives have led to an increase in access to premarital sex. People don't have to get married to have sex anymore. This freedom means that singles can keep multiple sexual partners until they are ready to make a long-term commitment. Advances in home production technology have made everyone self-sufficient, women can work for wages instead of staying at home, and men don't need women for goods and services. Childbirth outside marriage has been destigmatized by these economic forces. Women can live as single mothers and raise their children while remaining unmarried. Therefore, women who become a mother as a teen, marry later in their lives. The second reason for late-in-life dating is that it is easier and cheaper to search for mates, thanks to the popular use of social networking and online dating sites. In the past, older singles tend to spend highly to find a mate since they are usually socially isolated than the younger singles. The third reason for late-in-life dating is that people have a longer lifespan. In 1960, a woman was likely to live until 80 years old, while a man was likely to live until 75 years old. Now, people have an extra lifespan of four to six years. Longer life means people are more willing to spend time searching for new love. Men and women look for different benefits in their relationships later in life. Two people might choose to remain single just because one person believes that he has all the market power, while the other believes that she has none, so they both choose to stay single than lower their relationship standards. Conclusion the world of sex and love is not just a sea of emotions and desires. Our decisions and the consequences are more sensible when we evaluate them from an economic perspective. Luckily, the mystery behind our preferences, thoughts, and actions have been unlocked by research studies and economic analysis. It is left to us to choose how those data will impact your personal and romantic life. Our decisions to have a sexual partner at a certain age, get married or get divorced all boils down to a cost analysis, what will I lose? Try this, determine your position in the market by giving yourself an honest score out of 10 in terms of physical appearance for your age and gender. Look for a partner with the same qualities as you even though that might sound counterintuitive. If you are struggling to find the one in your city, it is time to relocate to a bigger city where your options will increase.